When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Talking Knicks. I'm joined by Kenny and Tom this week. We had a not a great week, I would say. We've had worse weeks, too, though. But hey, let's talk Knicks. The New York Knicks select Kristaps Porzingis. Post and toes, puffing and stuffing. Again, igniting and exciting the guard crowd. Knicks went one and two this week. Not our best. We beat the Jazz. Lost to the Grizzlies without Marcus All and Mike Conley. Then lost to the Lakers without Lonzo Ball. I mean, Lonzo Ball's also not a superstar at this point, so I don't know how much that really matters. Um, I mean, also this weekend, we got to watch. I got to watch the Knicks lose by 20 to the Lakers. And as soon as that game was over, I changed the channel just in time to see the Patriots score the game-winning touchdown in their game. So we're, we're going we're gonna to see the Patriots in another Super Bowl, which is is the worst. Um, yeah, we're all from New England. We're all from Connecticut, but I think we all hate the Patriots. Is that right? You guys hate the Patriots too? Kenny, you definitely do, Tom? Affirmative. Yes, you do. Um, and we all have our own reasons. Uh, some people just think it's because they cheat on every play, but that's not it. Um, and I was wondering that. Why do I hate the Patriots so much if I'm from New England? But my aunt, when I was a little kid, the Patriots were supposed to move to Connecticut. They had signed a deal with the governor of Connecticut to move. Then at the last minute, they went back on it, and they built their stadium in the middle of nowhere in Massachusetts. I don't know if you've ever been to Foxborough, but it is in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's not... It's not in Boston. You guys probably picture it being in Boston, but it's not. It's just in a random town in the middle of nowhere in Massachusetts. So that's why we hate the Patriots in our blood. And then on top of that, they decided to cheat in every game that they play. So, Yeah, Greg, hey. they, actually, they used Connecticut as leverage to get um, to get the team to stay in Massachusetts. I know they were like, well, we're going to leave. We're going to do it. And uh, But, hey, this is, this is talking Knicks, Greg. So let, let's uh, – Hey, I had to get that even... off my chest. I need people to know. All the all these not... people hate the Patriots too. And they need to have We're not even gonna mention them. We're not even gonna mention like Connecticut born and bred uh Aaron Hernandez is going around killing people. Yeah, he's a good guy. Did this <laughs> that get too dark real quick? All right, let's get on to the about that. We're editing this out. Patriots, Super Bowl. Gonna be terrible. Hopefully none of us watch it. Um Let's see. How was your weekend, guys? We all hung out this weekend. We went to a UConn-Villanova game. Kenny went to Villanova. We had, we were both from Connecticut. We're all from Connecticut. No one by law. I also went to UConn. Kenny also went to yeah, UConn. Yeah, I, I went. So yeah, I went to I went to UConn and Villanova. Um, so I've had kind of a a blessed life in my college basketball rooting experience, having you know rooted for UConn my entire life. They won four national championships since 1999, and then. Uh, Villanova with their 2016 championship that I actually went to and I was there for the Chris Jenkins game winning three at the buzzer, which was wild. Uh, but you know, 
I just I was there with Tom's brother who went to UConn and his wife and Tom's brother's wife who went to UConn. So I just kind of sat there quietly because these are they're two teams that I like, and I've mentioned both to pretty much everyone that I watch them both. And right now, Villanova is just so much better. Like it's it's weird that they play in the same league, yeah, and in you're the same division. You're a front runner too, so that's it makes it easy for you to root for Villanova. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much, you know, I'm a, I'm a front runner, which is why I root for the Knicks. Exactly. All right, Tom, how was your weekend? It was pretty good. You know, after that UConn-Villanova game, which, which wasn't all that exciting, uh, that was over pretty early on. But we then went to my brother and his wife's house where they just adopted a new puppy, played with that puppy for a while. So that was, uh, it cheered me up. It was like a therapy dog. And then today I, uh, I continued, my, my fiance and I continued our condo search. So we're uh, we're looking for a place to live. Um, you know, we're over here doing big things. The Knicks, on the other hand, are not. Yeah, great transition. And I think a lot some people tune in to hear us talk about the Knicks, but other people tune in to hear about your condo search. I know it's been going on for a few weeks now. We're talking about putting in an offer right now, so it's uh, in Fairfield of all places. Oh wow! So some some people are, might stop listening after next week if that's true. Yeah, so let's, can, yeah. take let, it away. Let's get started first. Game of the week, Grizzlies. No Marcus All. Mike Conley's been out for a little bit. We just happened to get really lucky. No Marcus All. Deontay Davis starting the first game of his career. Just dunks the ball every single play. Um, not only him, just everybody. Uh, no defense being played whatsoever by the Knicks. Alley oops, three pointers galore. Just, just a terrible, terrible scene. Um, Knicks go down by a lot late, and then they finally decide to make their charge a little bit too late, but maybe not. Um, they get it to within three with, uh, what was it, 25 seconds left is is when they call a foul on Chris Porzingis for, for holding um, Jermichael Green, maybe, one of the bigs on a box out. And uh, that's just a, that's just a thing that happens on every single rebound that comes off the rim and it was a tough call. I mean, technically sure. I guess that's a foul, but at that point in the game and considering that the rebound really wasn't like it was close to those two guys, but it wasn't all that close. Like if Chris Epps didn't hold him, I I don't think he would have gotten to the ball. I think Jared Jack still would have grabbed it. Then after that, um, Tyreek Evans turns it over or kind mildly. Um, he loses the ball in the backcourt, and then we have a jump ball situation. Uh, nobody on the Knicks ever really has it. Tim Hardaway Jr. is grabbing for it. I looked at it like at the end, like Chris Epps Porzingis was actually the person who had more possession of the ball with Tyreek Evans. But nonetheless, the refs decided that there's a jump ball between, between Tyreek Evans and Tim Hardaway Jr., which is less advantageous than us having Chris Epps jumping. Um, first jump because uh, there's more than two jumps in this story for some reason. First jump, ref <laughs> throws it up. Tim Hardaway Jr. is like, this guy's stepping over the line. This is terrible. This shouldn't be allowed. Um, so the ref just restarts for some reason. It was, it was a very weird situation. It was like a jump ball violation. And, I mean, I looked at the NBA rules, and I'm not sure what – I don't think the Knicks should have had the ball. I think a re-jump was the correct call. But it's actually not clear in the rules what should happen under those circumstances. 
So we got the second jump coming. It's three-point game at this point. 17 seconds left, 18 seconds left. And uh, Courtney Lee says he saw where Tyreek Evans was trying to hit the ball after the first jump, so he went and stood there. And Dylan Brooks is jockeying for position to get that spot with Courtney Lee, and Courtney Lee wasn't having it. He was like, no, I'm, I'm standing here. Like, get out of here. So they start going back and forth a little. And then the ref, not appreciative of it, gives Courtney Lee a technical in a three-point game with under 20 seconds left. And that just diminishes all hope of a, hope of a comeback, basically. All of a sudden, we're down four with this jump ball, even if we get it best we can do is come within one and then they we'd be fouling to try to tie it. So, I mean, we're not saying like the Knicks were on their way to losing that game. Even before that happened, considering the best we could have done was tie at that point and pray for overtime, but it, it wasn't helpful. Ken, Kenny, what did you think of that? Yeah. And I think he gave a pretty, pretty good uh, play by play blow by blow there. Um, I was not appreciative of it. Like, if you watch the play, Courtney Lee on the technical, like, he's talking. He's not, like, demonstrative or anything. He's talking to the guy next to him. And the guy next to him is, like, he's prodding him on and doing stuff, too. So Dylan Brooks is not innocent here. And I'm just not sure why they decided to call a technical on uh, Courtney Lee there. Like, that's something that happens literally every play of the game. Also, they messed up like the, that first tip. So I don't know what they were doing, why they were spending so much time waiting for the second tip. Yeah, that's true. He should have just gotten the ball and like, thrown it back. Yeah. Saying like, I, I'm not sure why there was such a lag there, but Courtney Lee, if he's standing there I'm out of the way. So like, I understand where Courtney Lee is coming from. And like, if the ref wants to go over there and tell Courtney Lee to knock it off, then there's two guys involved there. So, um, the NBA reviewed it. They said that, uh, you know, they they agreed with the call. But um, I've had I've wondered to myself if this was a situation like Draymond Green had a few years ago, where he was in the playoffs and uh, like two of his technicals got rescinded because they went back and looked at him. I'm like, if that happened, would they really go back and say that was the right call? Because I don't think they would. I think right now they're just trying to, you know, kind of back up their ref, which who was waiting and made a call that's never been made in the NBA history. Um, but like you said, they were on their way to losing that game. There was really no – the referee to single-handedly decide it. And I don't think that's why people go to the game. So, you know, did not make me too happy with uh, with the game's ending. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw what the referee said. He said – Foul they, language. Yeah, he said he was saying foul language to the young kid or something like that or – Hey, something he deemed inappropriate to the, like the young guy. It was very yeah, like very Aaron weird. Brooks's virgin ears couldn't handle it or something. Like he was looking out for the rookie or something. Uh, yeah, very very bizarre. It's like, actually kind of funny that that's that's what they said. Just because uh, the trash talk that they were talking is like Dylan Brooks was like, "Who are you?" And then the ref doesn't even know the kid's name. So that's actually kind of funny. That is good. But stuff. Uh, Tom, sorry, I cut you off there. Well, I was gonna say like. We've probably gone in on the refs enough that that call was pretty uh, unconscionable. But at the same time, like Greg was hinting at, the the Knicks were not doing themselves any favors here. Um, 
So I, I got a few stat of the games to throw at you guys here. So like you mentioned, Greg, it seemed like Deontay Davis was dunking every shot. And that's because the Knicks actually allowed 35 shots at the rim and let the Grizzlies shoot 63% from there. Usually the Knicks only give up 24 shots at the rim and allow opponents to shoot 60%. So usually the Knicks are one of the, are the second best team in the league at defending the rim, but this time they gave up 11 more shots than normal. Um, for context, the Magic give up the most shots at the rim per game, and that's 28. So, um, yeah, Grizzlies just dominated on the interior. But not just that, they're also dominating from the outside, too. Um, in total, Memphis took 28 threes, and 26 of those were either open or wide open, according to NBA.com. So they weren't defending inside, they weren't defending outside. It's, it's hard for me to feel too bad for them, even <laughs> despite the uh, the officiating blunders. Yeah, they're... I mean, the Knicks looked bad for, I, I don't know, three and a three and a half quarters. They just made a, a very late surge that, that got you excited. But even then, you know, it was within three with uh, 40, 40 seconds left. And that was our hope to try and get get one stop and then tie it and send it into overtime. And that's that's not where you want to position yourself to try to win a basketball game. You don't want to win in overtime. We'd like to win in regulation. And again, this was a team that like some of the names on this roster you you've never you've never heard of. And even if you are a regular NBA fan, you don't know these guys. I mean, Deontay Davis getting his first start. He was I think he was a second round pick out of Michigan State. Fell due to injury. One of the Harrison twins. I mean, Tyreek Evans was absolutely going off. But in the end, he, he only shot nine for 21, which is under 50%. But it, it just – nothing went right. Uh, I don't know. It, it was just very bad. Very bad. I, I have nothing more to say. You guys got anything else? Nothing. Let's, nothing. Let's, I mean, I got – I'm just going to kind of echo what, what Tom was saying, that if you – give up nothing but dunks and threes, like you're probably not going to do too well. And, you know, they didn't do well. So that's that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the, the good game of the week. We, uh, we beat the Jazz. This, I think this was the game that we thought we were going to lose. Uh, we thought we could beat the Grizzlies. They're one of the worst teams in the NBA. Lakers, also one of the worst teams in the NBA. But Jazz were, I mean, they're bad, but, you could see them having the talent to make the playoffs. And maybe not so much anymore and since they've fallen back. But we, we, we were lucky. In, and, yeah, as Kenny just mentioned, Rudy Gobert had been out for over a month, and he was back just in time to face the Knicks. So it felt like after lucking out and not having to face Marcus All, this, this is just what we got for not taking advantage of that. We got Rudy Gobert coming back, and he balled out. He shot 7 for 10, 23 points, 14 rebounds, airballed two free throws. But <laughs> other than that, he he was pretty dominant against the Knicks. Um, so what did you see in that game? It was uh, There was a lot of questions about Hornacek's rotations. I think he used 11 or 12 players in the first quarter. Um, so, Tom, what did you think about that game? Yeah, Greg, on the last pod, I talked about us showing a little bit more accountability for our predictions. And I will be the first to say, I 
predicted this as the only loss. So I, I said they were going to go two and one this past week. They ended up going one and two, losing the two games I expected them to win. So I was just wrong on every aspect. Last week. <laughs> and uh, at this point, I should expect the Knicks, expect the unexpected from the Knicks. But um, it, this this was kind of a weird game. And if we just want to focus on on crunch time specifically. The, the lineup we had out there was, was a surprising one. The, the, the play we were going, our go-to play down the stretch there was a Trey Burke, Michael Beasley pick and roll, which we went to a couple times in a row when we needed a bucket. And one of them actually worked. Yeah, but Beasley. It, was, it, it really kind of broke my heart to see that as our go-to play. If you'd have told me that even last week, I would have laughed at you. And, and here we were. And, I mean, it worked. I can't complain too much. Took a, a beat the Jazz who've been very good at home, uh, but that was that was tough to see, I gotta say. Yeah, and down the stretch of that game, the one the play that worked was Beasley hitting a jumper, was it? Is that right? That's uh, right. Yeah. Beasley hitting a jumper. And then after that, uh Courtney Lee came down, just took a horrible, horrible like fadeaway at the free throw line with a defender on his face with nine seconds left on the shot clock. And that's with right after Beasley hit a shot. Tim Hardaway Jr. is going off, and Porzingis is the best player. So that's that can't happen. And then the possession after that was another Trey Burke pick and roll where Trey Burke took a shot, and that is the very last person you want taking a shot out of those five people in this, this crunch time situation. And so the Knicks were actually up, I, I don't know, 10 with about two and a half minutes left, nine or ten. Greg, it was up 10 with about two minutes and seven seconds left. Up 10. About that, right, Dom? It was about that. I'm, I'm yeah. all over it. All right. And then somebody got fouled. And then they made one free throw, missed the second. Joe Johnson, or, or somebody got the re- – yeah, Joe Johnson got the rebound. Pump faked Beasley, then threw the ball up at the rim, which is technically a shot. It's shot enough to, to get three free throws. Refs are very arbitrary nowadays about when they give you three free throws or not. I mean, I think it was the right call to give him free throws, but I don't. Sometimes the refs are just like, eh, no. So we saw that tonight. Yeah, we saw with that Tim Hardaway Jr. with Tim Hardaway Jr. We'll get to that, but but what do you think about that crunch time, Kenny? We we were up ten. How we felt comfortable, and then you felt like we were going to lose. Yeah, like um, I th- I think we're going to talk about the rotations a little bit later and how you know they've been weird. This was down the entirety of the stretch, like Tom said. We had kind of a weird lineup out there, and we didn't send Porzingis and Tim Hardaway Jr. back out until you know there was four minutes left in the game. And then they went on an immediate run that you were talking about and to go up 10, and then they just kind of decided they forgot how to play basketball, uh, which is kind of a thing they do once in a while, like at least once per game, usually around the third quarter. Uh, and it's not great. And you you wonder whether it's it's you know the personnel that he's putting in and, and that Hornacek is putting in and when he's putting them in or you know if there's just mental lapses or kind of what's going on there. But uh, you know it I don't I don't kind of know how to explain it. Um, on the other hand, I think during that stretch Utah was doing kind of some ridiculous things. I'm not sure if it was then that Donovan Mitchell banked in a three, and I was like, oh well. That means we lost because if you're banking in threes like from from that angle, then you know it's not looking good for us. So 
you know, a combination of just bad play and bad luck. And, you know, the Knicks just have to do better of putting games away rather than, you know, letting them linger. That's yeah, I, I think one thing we should probably talk about here is that the fact that Frank Nielakina only played just under five minutes. And this was kind of a game where we wanted to see a matchup between Donovan Mitchell, who's been the rookie sensation, and and Frank, because we, we've seen what Frank can do. Um, we've seen him sh- even shut down Kyrie Irving in, during stretches. And so it had been fun to see him match up on Donovan Mitchell a bit more here. And he granted, he did struggle in his couple of minutes, but he got the he got yanked right away and just didn't get a second opportunity, really. So um, it was kind of weird to see Jeff go in that direction. And um, obviously playing Burke down the stretch um, d- didn't help. Frank's cause. But the thing is, I do think Frank can play the off guard position uh, pretty capably at times too. So it doesn't, he doesn't have to be the point guard at all times. That, that'd be my point. If, if we're going to try and get Frank more minutes. Yeah. And it was, it was tough. Frank came in the first quarter or, or came in early yeah. in the first half and he got called for, I mean, he, he wasn't playing his best, but he got called for like a very soft offensive foul. And then Hornacek yanked him after that, after three minutes, I think it was. And he, he didn't go – he went back to him for two minutes in the second half, which just hurt. I mean, I, I don't know. Trey Burke looked okay. I mean, he hit some shots. But Trey Burke also did a lot of picking up his dribble and panicking, uh, which isn't isn't exactly what you want from your point guard down the stretch. So, Kenny, you're the Frank guy. What, what were you thinking? I am the Frank guy. I, I am the Frank guy, and I agree with, with what Tom was saying that it – I don't know what Jeff Hornacek is doing with Frank in that position. Uh, like you guys said, he did struggle in his few minutes, but like it was five minutes. How much could you possibly struggle to not play your your you know rookie eighth pick uh, in that situation? And you know, I, I think it's it's always been a confidence thing for Frank, where sometimes he'll go out there and it'll look great, like the first half tonight, and sometimes he just won't look like he has confidence. And this can't help your confidence getting yanked after three minutes and then they send a Trey Burke out and let Trey Burke and, uh, and um, Jared Jack play the rest of the game. Like, I, I just don't get what your play is. Like is, are you trying to see what you have in Trey Burke? Are you trying to audition him? Are you trying to get him on the future lineup? Um, because he doesn't have the, you know, same upside as uh, Nilakina at this point in his career. So, you know, he he does fit that mold of a younger guy that we could you know have on our team, but he's not he's not going to be the future. And you know when you look at the Jazz who are struggling this year, but just kind of give Donovan Mitchell room to do whatever the hell he wants, like that's a good that's kind of a good situation for him, you know. And that's what I'd like to see for Frank is let him you know he's struggling a little bit, let him play. Donovan Mitchell went for what did he go for? I think seventeen points or something like that, but he did yeah. not play well. He didn't play well at all, and I think he was shot like probably seven for twenty, seven for twenty-one, something like that. Um, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm going from memory. And he didn't play well at all. And then, like down the stretch, he, you know, hit some big shots. He hit that bank three, but he also had a, a bunch of drives to the hoop, and he scored a bunch of points in the fourth quarter. And it, that's you're kind of seeing the difference of the situation there, where you know Utah doesn't have much in terms of scoring so they just let him do what he wants he wasn't shooting well in the first half fine let him keep playing frank's not playing well for 
two and a half minutes, we're going to yank him out. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And in that fourth quarter, he had Ron Baker and Trey Burke in at the same time for, I don't know, it was not very long. He he put him in. I think Baker was already in, and then he put in Burke. Uh, when we were up six, and then, like, immediately it was tied. And we called timeout, took out Baker, and then we won from there. But just – he went back to Burke and Baker in the fourth quarter today, which was very odd considering how quickly they went minus six in that other fourth quarter. What, Frank, as Tom mentioned, should be able to play this second guard position in – and it seems like Hornacek has more confidence in Ron Baker, Tom. Yeah, true? Greg, I was going to say, I'd be comfortable with Frank taking all of Baker's minutes at the off guard. I mean, if you're just looking for defensive tenacity, then that's what you have to tell Frank. That's what you're out there for. Like, you're not out there during this stretch to run the offense. You're out there to get after people on defense. And he has the size and length to do it. And he just needs to be empowered, like Kenny was saying. I mean... Yeah, the juxtaposition there with with uh, Donovan Mitchell struggling through the first three quarters, and then just he still had the keys. The, the team still had the confidence in him to to make the plays down the stretch, and he was their engine uh, in crunch time and, and looked pretty good, especially for a rookie. He looked very good. So um, you'd just like to see Frank given similar opportunities. But here, I mean, we're, again, we're talking about a game in which we won. But and Greg, you had a funny tweet after the the game that even when they do win, it's not it doesn't look fun, right? Like yeah. there, were, there were plenty of opportunities there for the jazz actually to tie the game in the last few seconds. I know Joe Johnson missed okay. two, one of them, corner three was just wide open to tie the game. And then, so he and Joe Ingles missed other wide open threes to tie. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a fortunate uh, closing of the game. And Tim Hardaway Jr. missed two free throws that would have made it a two possession game in order to leave it a three, three point game before they missed those three wide-open threes. Yeah, it was Mitchell, Joe Johnson, and then Ingles. And as Tom mentioned, the possession before that, Joe Johnson had also missed another open three. So, yeah, the Knicks were doing a lot of praying down the stretch, and it worked out. Let's get to a a positive. Tim Hardaway Jr., first game back starting. This guy went off, and he also went off in this Lakers game today, uh, especially from three-point range. And we've been complaining about the three all year. Tom, talk to me about him hitting six for seven from three. I know that's not sustainable, but just being capable of doing that, what that does for this team. We, we talk about it a lot, but let's let's talk about it again because it actually happened this time. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely encouraging to see because the game before, I think he'd gone something like, I have it up here, two for seven from three. So you're thinking, oh, no, like Tim Hardaway back to his his old ways where he, he came in. Uh, he was shooting like 30% from three before he got hurt, um, which is not ideal, especially considering just how good his stroke looks and how confidently he takes it. Um, but then, yeah, against the Jazz, he was just – he was on fire. He was, he was hitting them. It didn't matter if people were in his face. He had that four-point play. He just looked like he had all of his confidence back. Um, you know, sometimes when guys come back from injury, it takes them a while to get that confidence. But not not Tim Hardaway Jr., so that was nice to see. And it was also nice to see it carry over into the Lakers game. So you know, it, it'll be nice to, to see if, if he can continue this hot streak and get that percentage up. But, um, I mean, at this point, it's nice that he actually gets guarded as a three-point shooter. Yeah. So even when he's not hitting, 
defenses have to take him into account, right? And they can't sag off him because he's he's a known shooter in this league, even when he is struggling. Um, it just it really matters how he bends defenses and and opens things up for his uh for his teammates. Yeah, that's well said. Um, one thing to note: maybe he should have been starting earlier. I don't know. Maybe maybe we should have gone back to Tim Hardaway Jr. starting against the Grizzlies, but. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. I don't know, but that also seems like a a pretty fairly straightforward idea to start your second best player. But I I don't know. And Greg, I got one just one other stat I want to throw out there because it's going to be kind of a theme for the for this past week. Is uh, despite the win, the Jazz outscored the Knicks twenty three to seven on second chance points, which is again at the beginning of the season. This is the Knicks were the best team in the league at offensive rebounding and getting second chance opportunities in this one, a huge disparity in favor of Utah. So that's just something to, to look out for. And it's going to come up later again in the pod. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Kenny, you got any clothing, closing thoughts on the, the jazz win? Uh, no, no, I think I'm, I'm ready to move on and face the music for tonight. All right. Yeah. We had an ugly game tonight against the Lakers. It was a uh, fun to watch at least for the first I don't know, two and three quarters of the game. And then the Lakers just went off at the very end of the, the third quarter. And I know Kenny had a funny line. Uh, Hornacek put in Hernan Gomez and O'Quinn because Beasley got his fifth foul. And that's that's a very awkward duo to have up front. That's just two centers who – I don't think uh, they don't play together if ever. Maybe they played a couple minutes together, but they just got run out of the building just to close the third. And the Knicks have been very bad at closing quarters for a very long time. So they they just got lit up to end the third. And then that just carried over into the fourth and they ended up losing by 20 to the Lakers. So Kenny face this music for me. What did you, what did you see? Yeah, and I think we talked about this before, but it was similar to the Memphis game where the Lakers were just shooting a lot of open threes and getting a ridiculous amount of dunks. Uh, I know you said Julius Randle had at least four dunks. Probably He went 11 for 17, but I guess all 11 were dunks. Um, so maybe play some defense, maybe grab a rebound. I was actually surprised that looking at the stats that uh, the Lakers only had 12 offensive rebounds because it seemed like every single possession, they got at least three shots up. Um, so, you know, that's no way to win if you're going to, you know, give up dunks every play or and give up threes. So it's just painful. Yeah, they're giving up, giving up dunks early and often. Very first two possessions of the game for Lakers, for the Lakers were Julius Randle dunks. And then that theme – didn't stop. He thought it could. It would probably stop since the very first two possessions were dunks, but every single possession throughout the entire game was a dunk. And you also you texted me early in the game and said we were getting Brooke Lopez from three because they just weren't guarding him, and he hit you know three or four threes very early. Ended up four for six for the game, and it's like you're gonna do this again. Just guard someone when they're at the three point line. Okay, then one more question for you. Yep. Um, we got Caruso'd, right? We got Caruso'd. That was weird. You I've never even heard of this guy. So, I mean, I don't know if this is something we've regularly talked about on the pod. I think it is, mostly with uh, the Bulls and Nawaba. But it seems like every game, 
some random guy that I've never heard of just goes off on the Knicks for a career day. And um, I don't even know his first name. His last name is Caruso. Alex. Alex. Alex Caruso. And he was he had himself a ball game. He went plus 24 in 31 minutes, Went uh, had nine points and eight assists. He's a, I don't, like he doesn't even look like a basketball player. You see this guy? He's uh, going to calm down for a second, but like he's balding. He doesn't look athletic at all, although Tom showed me a dunk uh, the other day that he had that was pretty good. Um, but the Knicks just find a way to make bad players look really good, which is the opposite of what you want from your basketball team. Yeah, and we talk about it a lot with Jake and TJ McConnell. I think I think the the term we use for it is getting McConnelled because he did it last year. He had an actual game winner against us. Game-winning buzzer beater, and then this year he just went off against us. But let's let's hear what you got, Tom. Were there any positives here? I mean, you could continue to build on the negatives, like this offensive rebounding, second chance points. But let's start with the negatives, actually. Let's yeah, Greg, I, I've got more. Of, <laughs> I've got more of those. Uh, I, I guess. I mean, it started with the with the Brook Lopez threes to start. Um, Enos Cantor just couldn't get out to the perimeter to defend those on the pick and pops. And so Hornacek's counter to that was like, let's go even bigger. Like, let's get Hernan Gomez out there. And, and it was crazy because you'd think with all that size that the Knicks would be able to do at least one of a few things, like defend the rim, prevent second-chance opportunities. Well, I mean, do, do some things. But instead, so the Lakers actually lead the league in shots from the restricted area per game at 35 per game. They got those 35 again tonight. But usually they shoot 63% from the restricted area. Tonight they shot 77, which would be by far the best mark in the league. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. But yeah, we have all these big dudes down there. They're not protecting the rim at all, but they're also not grabbing defensive rebounds either. The Lakers were plus 10 in second chance points tonight. It just we were getting beat in in that respect on the boards and inside. But then also the Lakers outscored the Knicks. 22 to 6 in fast break points. So just in, in and that's partly because we had all these big guys on the floor who were just lumbering up and down. Um, you know, the, the Lakers are going with Larry Nance Jr. with Julius Randle at the four and five. Brandon Ingram's playing a lot of four. And and we're we're countering with just our slowest, biggest guys. And it 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 worked in no way. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and I feel like that was the same thing that happened with the the Memphis game because Memphis had no players and they just blitzed us, right? They just every single chance they had, they got the ball and they ran up the court and they took a layup. And I I know Jeff Hornacek said a while ago that we have all this size, we're going to make other teams match up to us instead of trying to go small to match up to them. But that only works if your big guys are an offensive threat to do stuff. Kylo Quinn occasionally he'll have a nice, you know, he'll catch it and he'll dunk it. Maybe occasionally he'll have a nice post move, but he's not really a threat. If you, if that's the case, then they can put their one big on Hernan Gomez, who actually has some post game, and just stick their smaller guy on Kylo Quinn, who isn't doing much. So they don't have to match your size if one of your your big guys is isn't a threat. And then, like you said. They can just run by you because you have two guys. The two people who should be protecting the rim are slower than everyone else on the court, so they're just going to run down and take a layup or a dunk. So, I think that's something that uh, that Hornacek's got to figure out. You know, I mean, if there's a possibility, I could see like it doesn't make much sense, 
But if he wants to do this where he's going big, both Hernan Gomez and Ennis Cantor have post games. So if you put them both in, maybe maybe the the smaller guy that they have to match up with you is guarding someone who actually can play in the post and score on them. Otherwise, you just have two big guys who can't get back on defense. But the the Hernan Gomez Cantor line has its problems. I I know. Believe me, I know. Both of them are terrible at defense and can't stay in front of them, anyone. But if they want to do something where people have to match up to their size, that's the only thing that makes sense because those are the only big guys who have any offensive abilities. You know, as far as taking advantage of smaller defenders and, you know, posting up. Yeah. I mean, that's all the negatives we got. Were there any positives? Uh, At the very start of the third quarter... The Knicks were just firing away from three, and it was it was it was a good sight. Uh, they started out five for five, and then uh, Jared Jack started taking some horrible shots. Doug McDermott came in, took some horrible shots, and then the game ended, and we lost by twenty to the Lakers. So, Tom, you think we talk about the three point shooting, but you think Tim Hardaway Jr.'s back, so that's going to spread the court, and everybody's going to start shooting now. I mean, I don't think offense was the problem in this one. Like, the Knicks got their shots up. They, they shot almost 55% from the field. They shot 48% from three on a decent number of attempts. They got 25 up. Um, so it just – they shot the ball really well. Offense was not the issue here. I did want to bring up the play of Frank Nielakina here, <clears throat> who got up he, – he played 17 minutes. He had seven points three assists, one turnover, but he was minus 14 in terms of plus minus. I just want to point out that sometimes we'll, we'll use, we'll lean a little heavily on that stat, but just going off the eye test here, it looked like in Frank's minutes, he was the only one putting in any effort. Like I just, I was watching it and the team kept doing poorly every time he was out there, but to me, it never felt like it was his fault. And so I'm kind of using that as a positive. I, I thought he was, he was actually playing decently and it's just, Doug McDermott really struggled. Kylo Quinn looked lost out there in his minutes. And um, I mean, it just, it just seemed like the guys around Frank were, were struggling. Yeah. And in that third quarter, I thought he was just put in a position to fail. Cause he was, he was playing with that big front court of O'Quinn and Hernan Gomez. And then Beasley was in. And I, it, I, I don't want to say it was, I think it was Courtney Lee, but it, it could have been Baker. And just that, you that's, just, that's a horrible lineup. Obviously, you're going to do a terrible job. Kenny. And yeah, so I was that was going to be my positive, but I wasn't going to throw a negative spin on it like Tom with the, the plus minus. Uh, but he started out the game well. You know, he hit – he uh, had a nice – he hit a three. Then he had a nice pump fake dribble uh, shot that – dribble mid-range shot that went in. And then he had a nice drive to the hoop and scored that way. So we had seven quick points. And then it's like, okay, like last game he didn't get his minutes, whatever. We're going we're gonna to give him minutes now. Um, but then you got to the second half after he played so well. And then they put him in for, it felt like maybe two or three minutes with that terrible lineup. And then they yanked him again for Trey Burke. And again, what are you doing? You know, you're going to surround, you're going to put in your, eighth pick rookie who has been playing, you know, he's been up and down, but this game he's been playing well 
and then you're just going to yank him and put in Trey Burke with your actual good players and let him fail. It's like, I don't know what you're doing, man. Let yeah, so Frankie I got, play. I got it. It was the last 225 of the third quarter. It was Beasley, O'Quinn, Hernan Gomez, uh, Courtney Lee, and McDermott. And then McDermott, Hernan Gomez went in for Beasley at one point during that that stretch. So those were the five or the six players that were in the game and they went minus seven in two and a half minutes. So all the over half of Frank's plus minus can be attributed to two and a half, two minutes and 25 seconds where he was just playing with an absolutely horrible lineup that was bound to fail. And it did. So Tom, we're going to talk a lot about, Jeff Hornacek's substitution patterns and and who he just puts in the game. And it's – you never know what's going to happen. It seems like a lot of the time he's just pulling a name out of a hat and saying, all right, you you go ahead and go go in there and see what happens. The the 11 players playing in the first quarter of the Jazz game was was unbelievable in my mind. Then Trey Burke closing – or Trey Burke and Ron Baker getting – minutes in close games in the fourth quarters of back-to-back games was was crazy to me. This tall guy lineup was crazy to me. Uh, uh, what are you seeing in these rotations? What do you think needs to change? Does he need to figure out who his guys are? Is this how he figures that out, or is there a different way to do that? Yeah, I mean, it does seem like there's a uh, a trial and error aspect to his coaching. Like, he's just – throwing stuff out there and seeing what sticks. And, uh, I mean, not a lot has stuck recently. It's just the two big lineups have – I mean, we're not even talking about two bigs. We're talking about two centers, like two traditional centers. (laughs) Yeah, where a lot of teams play with zero traditional centers. Right. They just have no place in the modern NBA. Um, And so, yeah, like this this game in particular – was it was competitive through I think through three quarters the the Knicks were just down by eight going into the fourth I think and it was it was really that fourth quarter that blew it wide open um and I'd have to go back and see what the what the rotations were in the in the fourth but I mean they just they just stopped being able to score it, they couldn't get to the line to save their lives and that's been a, a recurring theme they've they've been one of the worst teams in the league at fouling opponents and, and also one of the worst at getting free points at the free throw line. So that's another thing is when you have these bigs and you're pound, you're supposedly pounding it inside, you should be getting to the free throw line more. And I know we are hard on the officiating too, but like it, it seems, I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. The Knicks do settle for the most mid range jumpers in the league. And we've said before, we sound like broken records. Like you don't draw fouls that way. So, I mean, that's just something that if you're going to have these bigs get to the free throw line and get some free buckets, free points. Yeah. Kenny. Yeah. And so I've, I've said it on, you know, a lot of prior pods that I was looking forward to Tim Hardaway Jr. Coming back because the fourth line, fourth quarter lineup that I would like to see down the stretch is Frank Nilakina, Courtney Lee, Tim Hardaway Jr., Kristaps Porzingis, and someone else, probably maybe McDermott, maybe Lance Thomas for defensive purposes, maybe Beasley to score, but those four should be on the court. And, you know, they just haven't done that. What I want, uh, the reason that I want Frank on the court is to play defense. And the reason that um, I was excited for Tim Hardaway Jr. to come back is I think that a pick and roll 
down the stretch with Tim Hardaway Jr. and Kristaps Porzingis is the best that we can hope for in those offensive sets. Whereas, you know, when he was out, we were doing a lot of isolation with Porzingis and Beasley. And, you know, that's not really Porzingis's game. And, you know, Beasley's Beasley. So sometimes he's just, just going to make every shot. Sometimes he's not going to make any of them and just throw it at the rim. Uh, but instead of doing that, they've been they've had Trey Burke running the screen and roll with Michael Beasley, like you guys said. And I just don't understand it. So in the last three games, Frank Nilakina has played the least amount of fourth quarter minutes other than Billy Hernan Gomez. And this can't or uh, Trey Burke has played the fifth most out of on the Knicks in the fourth quarter. And why is that a thing that happened? So like in the aggregate, and Trey Burke only played two two of the three games this week in the fourth quarter. So, I mean, I, I just don't understand what they're doing there. And like Tom said much earlier in the podcast, Frank can play off the ball. And if we want to have Tim Hardaway Jr. handling the ball, that's that should be how we end the game. With Tim Hardaway Jr. being the creator, Lee and, Por- Lee and uh, Nilakina on the wings ready to shoot, and Porzingis setting the screen and either rolling or popping for – for easy buckets, but that's just not how it's gone. Um, instead, Hornacek is just picking the names out of the hats, like you guys said. And you know, <laughs> Trey Burke's gonna get the fifth most minutes. Ron Baker's gonna get the sixth. Jarrett Jackson get the seventh, and then way down below is Frank at eleventh and his Cantor at tenth. Doug All McDermott right. at ninth. Tom, one know, one thing I gotta ask is is when does the stretch start? When do you need to get your guys into the game? Because in this Jazz game, Tim Hardaway Jr. had 23 points through three quarters, and he didn't come in. He 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 was very very hot at the very end of the third. I think he might have hit a he hit a three with two seconds left. He hit two threes in the last 34 seconds of the third quarter. Doesn't come back in until there's 4:25 left in the game, and then Chris Porzingis leaves this Jazz game with 2:46 left in the third quarter doesn't come back until there's 421 left. Well, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, Greg, I think that's a great way to cool off your players. If you're thinking maybe they're, they're shoot, getting a, too big of a head, maybe to honestly, that's shocking that uh, maybe Hardaway is just coming back from injury. And so they're, he's being a little uh, hesitant there, but, but Porzingis, it just seemed like, and, and even the announcers were talking about, I think John Barry was mentioning it. It seemed like Hornacek just thought, Beasley was the hot hand and, and just did, thought not to put his best player in the game. Like that, that was the best thing for the team. And, uh, <laughs> it, it is really uh, puzzling. Some of, some of Hornacek's decisions. Um, I'm curious if he's going to start like the, the seasons. I don't want to say it's slipping away, but like the odds of making it the is. playoffs and <laughs> the odds of making the playoffs are getting slimmer and slimmer. And I wonder if he's just start, like auditioning guys like Hernan Gomez more to try and raise their trade value. Because right now, I think we've mentioned his in particular is about as low as it's ever been. Um, and so maybe we might be seeing more minutes for him just to see if if we can raise his value and, and flip him for something. Yeah, and it does feel like the season is kind of slipping away, but there's other teams that are sl- slipping themselves. Um, the Pacers are... Five and five in their last ten. Bucks are four and six. I mean, you feel like the Bucks will figure it out, but the Pistons are in free fall mode. They're they're out of the playoff picture right now. They're in ninth, and we are th- we're three games behind the the Bucks. Two 
three and a half games behind the Pacers and 76ers out of out of sixth place. So it's not all hope is not lost, but we're we shouldn't be banking on ourselves being good. We should we should or or I should say we should be equally banking on other teams being bad as much as us being good if we want to make the playoffs. Does that sound right? Does that make sense to you, Tom? That makes sense, but uh yeah, if if the playoffs are still a thing, which we're which we're fighting for, then I, I agree that these uh, these rotations are going to need to tighten up, and uh, there's going to need to be just fewer two traditional center lineups on the court. Yeah, so and so so one thing, and I wanted to mention Tim Hardaway Jr. They asked him about I don't know the season. He said something like, "If if we don't make the playoffs, that's obviously what we're fighting for. If we don't make it, that's a disappointment." And I was thinking to myself, like no matter what. There's, they're going to be trying to make the playoffs because even if they traded all their pieces that were tradable, they would still have Chris Asporzingis and Tim Hardaway Jr. And that team isn't going to bring you down past some of these horrible teams into into the the bottom of the lottery. I think we've all talked about it. And we thought that like the Knicks, if they like stop trying and did as horrible as they possibly could. The worst they could finish is about the seventh pick. But that hypothetical situation is not going to happen. We're going to have Chris Porzingis, who uh, narrowly missed being an all-star starter. Uh, Then we'll have Tim Hardaway Jr. back, who's been hot, averaging over 18 on the season. So the tank isn't happening, Kenny. So I – I'm going to just throw this out that last year we got the eighth pick and we had Carmelo Anthony and Kristaps Porzingis. So it's not, you know, I, I don't think tanking is what a lot of people think it is where you like try to lose anyone who's out there who is trying, is trying to win. It's you go out there and you play, you know, you play Frank more minutes, even though right now he's not your best shot at winning all the time. Like you play, you play Hernan Gomez more minutes and let him develop even though right now he's not your best player. Uh, it's it's about, you know, developing your team while also, you know, seeing what happens. If your team doesn't win those games, it doesn't really matter. But what you have to understand is even, you know, when the 76ers had all their players injured and were just trotting out a G League lineup last year, they were basically just all their players are trying because they want to stay on an NBA roster. So no one on that team is just like, all right, we're just going to lose this game. They're all trying. They're just not as good. So I think, I think the Knicks, you know, can still, if they end up trading off and they end up, you know, start, you know, getting Frank a lot more minutes and, you know, maybe even at this point getting Trey Burke a lot more minutes and Hernan Gomez a lot more minutes, then I think they're, they're going to be, you know, losing more games. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how exact, exactly how many games that's going to be. And I think they're going to, know end up late lottery yeah that seems about right um tom how how bad do you think this team could be not bad enough greg (laughs) that's that's perfect that's perfect yeah it doesn't i i guess we're about i don't know 11 to 14 yeah i mean they there's no doubt about it though like they've been struggling how many games back has hardaway jr been um healthy is it has it just been three 
Four? Uh, I mean, he played all the games this week. He returned against the Grizzlies, so yeah. it, it, it's either four or five or six because we had yeah. four games last week. Because I, I just looked up some stats from the past 15 games. I don't want to derail us too much, but I, I brought it up a little bit earlier. So I just want to say, in the in the past 15 games, which is a solid sample size, the, the Knicks are giving up 15.5 second-chance points per game, which is dead last in the league. They give up the most second-chance points per game in the league, which is pretty wild just considering how many guys they have on the team who are considered very good rebounders in Cantor and O'Quinn and how much size they play with. The fact that they're so poor at defensive rebounding is, is pretty pretty surprising. Um, I've got a few other rankings here for the past 15 games, and just stop me if anything here sounds interesting or surprising to you. But in the past 15 games, they ranked 27th in points scored off of t- turnovers, 26th in fast break points, 24th in free throw attempt rate, 27th in opponent free throw attempt rate, and 29th in opponent turnover percentage. So they aren't forcing any turnovers of opponents at all. So that means that they can't get out on fast breaks themselves, but they're allowing opponents to do it at a really high rate. It's just, this is all, I mean, just these past 15 games in which they've been 4-11, and 11, They've just struggled in so many facets of the game that you need to be strong in to win in today's NBA. Yeah, that did not sound very good. Those all those numbers were bottom six in the league, I think. And that's it's not where you want to be. You you would rather be in the top six, I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. And uh I think kinda the fact that, you know, they've been playing a lot more uh Ron Baker and a lot less Frank Nilakina, not great. Um, so that I, I mean, Frank when he was playing well was forcing a lot of turnovers, and you know that seems like a lot, you know, a much better way to score points in transition and force. Uh, I think Tom said they were in the bottom two in uh, turnover percentage. So. You know, play Frank. That's that's probably going to be my solution to everything. Is play Frank uh, and let him get some steals. And so I know a while ago they were saying they were trying to increase their pace, and they do sometimes. And then sometimes they're just like, ah, we'll just the the next next six minutes we're just going to play at a really slow pace and not do anything, which is terrible to watch. Yeah. And so I got a question for you guys. What do you think is going to happen with this point guard? position now that we have Trey Burke. Uh Jared Jack has been serviceable. Um but that's that's it. That's the word I would use, serviceable. Um now we have Trey Burke who has closed or or not closed, closed one game against the Jazz and then played in the fourth of a of a blowout. But he was in when it was close. So what are you thinking about that, Tom? And then we've seen that Hornacek is not ready to give up on Ron Baker, and he's not ready to just blindly give Frank minutes. So what's going on with this point guard position? And is is he – I think he has recently been going more to, like, the two-point guard lineup. So is that something we're going to see going forward? Yeah, I mean, it's a nice problem to have when you have – more than one point guard who's who's like you know, a capable or what did you say competent what was your word serviceable serviceable it's nice to have multiple serviceable point guards um 
in in this Lakers game, I saw Burke only played seven minutes. Um, I, I think that that's going to be more indicative of of his role on the team. I don't. I think that the Jazz thing was kind of an aberration. I don't expect to see him too much. But I, I said that last week. Um, I, I said that I didn't think he was going to be much of a factor in the rotation at all. And then he was closing the game against Utah. So I, I've, I mean, I was wrong about everything last week. Um, I don't know why you guys listen to me at all, but I mean, I do think that the double point guard lineups are something that Hornacek should go to even more. Um, and then, you know, having, having the wings and just bumping everyone up a position, you know, and playing smaller, playing faster. Cause we have guys like Courtney Lee and Tim Hardaway jr. And Beasley, who can even get out on the break too. Um, so yeah, Frank at shooting guard would be at the off guard position would be nice, but I'm not. I think the Hornacek's a little more stuck in his ways than we'd like him to be, and I, I could just see more traditional single point guard units and just you know splitting, splitting the playing time there with uh, when when Jared Jack's out, Frank comes in, and then with Trey Burke sprinkled minutes sprinkled in here and there. Yeah, Tom, let me tell you something about those Trey Burke minutes. So he didn't come into the game until the fourth quarter. He started the fourth quarter right after that stretch where Frank was put in with that horrible lineup, and they scored seven points in the last two minutes and 25 seconds. Or, or they they took an eight-point lead. They The Knicks were up one, or were the Knicks were losing by one with 225 left. And then that terrible lineup got put in. Then suddenly the Knicks were down eight in the fourth to start the fourth quarter. And that's when Hornacek decided to blame Frank and put in Trey Burke. So that, that was, that was brutal. So guys, I got a, I got a stat bomb for you on Trey Burke's minutes. So this week he played 17 fourth quarter minutes. He played five minutes, not in the fourth quarter this week. So he played 22 total minutes, and 17 of them were in the fourth quarter of close games. Like, what is that? Surprising. The closer, closer, Heraldus Chapman. Just not going to play him at all, and then, you know, here's the time. We have a close game. We need to bring Trey Burke in because Jared Jack is old, and I don't want to develop our young point guard, Frank Nilakina, because I don't trust him. What is that? Come on, Jeff, do better. I was sticking up for you last week saying I didn't think you were going to get fired, but then you go out this week and you pull this stunt and just keep pulling Frank. Come on, man. I mean, Trey Burke was minus five today in those seven minutes, so uh, uh, it wasn't as close of a game by the time he left. I think that the result was decided by the time Trey Burke left the game. Um, Let's move on. Let's move on to some trade talk. this one, this one's more of a pipe dream. Uh, Kemba Walker's been made available. People are talking about the Knicks. Maybe it's just just dreaming because that's where we're at. Because the Knicks are have not been too hot recently, so we got to dream about doing stuff like trade for Kemba Walker. So what are you thinking about about Kemba Walker? You're probably more of a realist when it comes to the trades, Tom. So I'm not. I, I don't know. Let's just say something fun. What do you think about it? Uh, Greg, I, I don't know how much. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll try and come up with something here. I mean, the, the thing is, I don't know how, if you're the Hornets, you could trade Kemba Walker without expecting a first-round pick in return, right? Like, he's an all-star yeah. caliber player. 
the team is really good when he's on the court. It's just he can't be on the court all the time, and they fall apart without him. He's a he's a very he's he's actually more than serviceable, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, um, as you mentioned, he was an all star. He was an all star last year. I don't think he's going to get it this year, but we'll see. I mean, you, you never know. Um, in the East, who who the uh, coaches are going to pick, but uh, yeah, I think if if the Knicks are really want to make a run at at Kemba. They don't want to give up Frank. I think the fan base doesn't want to give up Frank. So you're going to have to look at a at a future first. Like it's going to have to be a Hernan Gomez. Um, maybe maybe they want Courtney Lee back, and then you know Kemba's salary isn't that much, so that's probably enough to to make it match there. And then a, a future first, and maybe maybe that'll get it done. Yeah, that'd be nice. I think we would live with that. What do you think, Kenny? Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen, guys. Um, I'm the realist here. I don't know why we're going to call Tom the realist. Well, I guess Tom's the realist, too. We don't have Jake here, who is the wild uh, speculator. Yeah, we're getting Kemba, baby. That's Jake. That would be Jake. Jake texted us. Or Joe Kim Noah. A trade scenario that I just – I won't even bring it up on the pod. It was (laughs) offensive. It was offensive. So I think (laughs) – yeah, I think in Jake's world, um, maybe, but otherwise, I don't think we're to get him. I just don't think there's a trade that works. Like Tom said, if you're, if you are Charlotte, you either want a young player, and that's Frank. You want a first round pick, and right now we don't want to give one because we're borderline lottery, and we're probably not winning the championship next year either. So we don't want to do that, or. They want you to take on some of their terrible contracts, which is something we don't want to do because we have enough of those. We have Joakim Noah. We have Timmy, who's been playing well, but he has a very large contract. And we don't want to saddle ourselves down and not be able to do something when Chris Dobbs hit, hits his prime and you know, pick up some free agents then. The best we could hope for is if you know Charlotte thinks that dumping Michael Kidd Gilchrist is what they need to do because he gets paid a lot. He doesn't play a lot because he's always injured. Um, He's not a bad player. He's just always injured. And, you know, his, his contract lines up with what, when uh, we would drop Joe Noah. So he has the, this, the next two years for $13 million, which not a terrible enough contract, I, I think to, you know, warrant them dropping, dropping Kemba Walker on us. But if they think it is, fine. And then we'll have Michael K. Gilchrist on our books for the next two years, and then both him and Noah will come off at the same time, and everyone will be happy, and we'll have a ridiculous amount of money to spend. But also, um, Kemba Walker is a free agent after next year, so, you know, there's no guarantee that that's that he'll stick around. So, bottom line, I, I don't think it's happening. You guys know I love Kemba because we talked about how um, I'm a UConn and Villanova fan, and Kemba Walker is, you know, UConn's greatest player. So I would love to see him in New York. He loves to be in New York. He won five games in five days in New York in the Big East tournament. So it would be great. I just don't, you know, see a trade that works. Hey, yeah, um, probably won't happen. Would be cool if we got him. I mean, superstars have been going for. For less than you'd think, but to so the hometown teams, which is the Knicks, and yeah, also trades 
during the season, I feel like people pay more because they're actually they know where they stand. So they're they're saying, all right, this is what we actually need. So they're they're willing to pay up. So probably won't happen. Let's get into the the, the more realistic trade talk. I know we t- mentioned it a little last week. I don't know if we talked about who we should be be targeting, um, either as buyers or as sellers. As sellers, we'd probably be trying to trade Courtney Lee. I know you guys talked about it, or and Kylo Quinn. The one thing I think about Courtney Lee, people say that he's going to be like 34 in the last year of his contract, so they don't know if he'll live up to it. But Courtney Lee's on a pretty solid deal. He's been balling out this year. I don't know why people are just assuming he's just going to tank the next two years. The one thing I kind of think in my head is the Knicks might want a player like Courtney Lee in two years for that amount of money. So if – if they traded him now, then they just have to pay again later to try to get something back like that. Uh, there's no guarantee he's going to stay the way he is, but there's also no guarantee that he's going to drop off drastically. Um, he's not a superstar. He's a role player. He's been doing a good job. But what do, what do you think about that, Tom? I know I haven't told you guys that before, but I thought that in my head. You think that the Knicks may want Courtney Lee on that contract? I I mean, I think that that might be good for the Knicks because I think he doesn't ha- he doesn't have the easiest contract to move. Like you said, like he's making um, over twelve million. He's making twelve point two million next year. He's guaranteed twelve point about twelve point eight million the year after that. Um, in his thirty four year old season, like that's that's not nothing for a guy who's who's gonna likely be in the decline in terms of his encore performance. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how much um, teams think that Courtney Lee can move the needle in the playoffs. I, and I'm not saying that as in like Courtney Lee might not, I'm just saying I really have no idea. <laughs> I, um, I'd be curious to know, I, you know, if I could talk to some GMs, I would, but you know, Cantor, we, we talk about Cantor as being a possible piece to move. He's making 20 million this year. He's due 18.6 million next year in a player option that he, he has he's going to have to opt yeah. into that, right? Yeah, you have to, but especially the market nowadays. After that that summer where we signed Noah to that contract, everyone was like, wow, that looks bad. And, and we weren't the only people guilty of that. Alan Crabb got paid. Uh, Jan Mahimi got his money. Solomon Hill got his money. Mozgov. Mozgov got paid. Luol Dang. The Lakers, Lakers pulled off two somehow. I don't know, Evan Evan Turner. <laughs> yeah, everybody. And then last summer, people were like, wow, we don't want to do that. Shouldn't have done that. Long-term deals are uh, also seem to be trending downward, unless you're an absolute superstar. I don't know if you're going to be able to lock up a deal for, for three or four years anymore. Or probably for three, but four years, I don't, I don't know if you're going to get that, unless it's like a very cheap deal. So I, I, I don't know. Is is are you thinking that we should be trying to trade Courtney Lee to shed salary? I, I ever that really never struck me as a thought. I, I don't know. Can I mean, from my end, you know the the sexy thing in being a GM to say something that Jake would say is that uh, right now what you want is you don't want to take on salary and you want you do want young assets. So, um. I'm I'm talking about moving Courtney Lee 
for young assets or for um, draft picks. And, you know, how useful is Courtney Lee going to be? Courtney Lee is like a career 400 or a 40% three-point shooter. This year he's shooting 43.3%. Last year he shot really well. He's a knockdown free throw shooter, and he can play solid defense. So I think some team is going to find him valuable, either as a, a sixth man or as a starting shooting guard who can play defense and knock down shots. Um, I know I know I've mentioned before that the Thunder seem like a team that could use someone who knows how to play basketball, which Courtney Lee is. Um, Ennis Cantor. You know, I don't I think he does opt in just because, you know, that's a lot of money. And also he has said how much he enjoys playing in New York, although, you know, I think that's just his personality, except uh, although he did force his way out of Utah. So maybe maybe he would be more vocal if he didn't enjoy it. Yeah, Um, I would say that. Where where Courtney Lee's at right now, we might be looking at a deal like Iman Shumpert and the Cavaliers first round pick for. Courtney Lee. What do you think about that deal, Tom? Uh, that's an interesting one because um, obviously the Cavs would probably want to get off Shumpert's yeah, salary. Shumpert's, I don't have his contract in front of me. What's he, what's he owed? Uh, I think it's about 11 something like that, and he's got a player option for next season. So he, he may – I mean, I also think he's in the same boat where you would pick up the player option because he has he's not bad. had – he's been a very bad player this year. So he'd be lucky to get an $11 million – contract total on his next deal <laughs> no i i think that's a that's an interesting one um i mean obviously cleveland's first round picks are are less valuable since they well actually you know their record isn't all that good so actually I mean, they'd be low 20s right now and the thing is it's all about just picking up assets because then if you really want to you can pack, package them we have the chicago bulls second round pick and if uh, that's that's looking like it's going to be a pretty good pick. So if you package that with a late 20s pick, I think you can move up to maybe even late lottery. Hey, good idea. Uh, what do you guys think about – what do you think Kylo Quinn is worth, Tom? I think he'd probably be worth a – I mean, he's only 27. Uh, he's got a player option next year for 4.2 that he's, mil. He's probably going to opt out of that. So – yeah, he'll probably opt that. Out. Yeah, it's it's funny because he's he's got his player option for four million, and Cantor's got his player option for eighteen million. So somewhere in the middle is is where the center market is at. Because uh, you you could see Kylo Quinn being the starting center on a bad team. I could see that at least. I mean, otherwise you see him as a rotation center. And on, Kylo, on I know the Cavs have you know, struggled with their front court and Kylo Quinn seems like a guy that could help them either off the bench. Well, probably off the bench uh, to shore up the second unit's uh, front court. He'd be a rental. So I don't, I don't know how much that's going to fetch them. Um, Maybe, maybe a young middling prospect or maybe a a late first, early second rounder. If we're lucky. Um, I feel like his, his uh, value though is dropping of recent weeks. So, if I were the Knicks, I, I might just pull the plug on that and try to get rid of him. You know what would have been a, would have been a fun trade if if the Nuggets weren't, weren't so loaded in the front court. Moutier for for Kylo Quinn would have been a fun thing to think about. Yeah, Greg, I like the idea of like trying to get a second draft type guy who just hasn't panned out in his 
in his original spot. So someone like even someone like Noah Vonley, who I think yeah. had some potential. Um, but yeah, I mean, just teams don't need bigs, you know. Like O'Quinn is is a solid uh, backup big, but there's just not much of a market there for that. So yeah, yeah it, so we're just uh, looking for somebody that the other team doesn't want, who we met might want. I don't know. We don't even know. We're looking for a lottery, a lottery ticket, as Kenny likes to say. Yeah, pretty much. And right now, I'm all about um, you know just building up assets. And I should kind of Kenny, you're a, you're a little uh, a fuzzy for some reason. I'm going to cut you off there for some reason. Uh, yeah. So I don't Good know. Hosting. Yeah. So otherwise, what O'Quinn might be able to get you is a, like a late second round pick from one of those teams that actually believes they have a chance, and then. Four million, four million dollars of salary to match. So, can you hear? Can you hear me now? Yeah, gotcha. Let's hear what you had to say. All right. So, what I was going to say is, um, I think I should probably kind of revise what I was saying before about taking on salary. My actual position is they shouldn't take on any salary that extends beyond the life of Joakim Noah's deal, uh, yeah. because we're strapped with that, and until that's done, you know. Where there's not really too much moves, too many moves we're going to be making, so I'd be fine with taking on you know two two years of a bad salary, and because I don't think Knicks are winning in the next two years, so I'm all about just getting assets and being able to either move up in the draft or trade the assets for something else, and that's something that you know Greg said a lot was once you have an asset, you know you can either trade it or you can keep it, you know, so. To the extent we we have guys like Kyle O'Quinn and Courtney Lee, and uh, if we're able to move Cantor, seems unlikely. And if we hit a point where we're selling off, I know I said this last week, but I think Jarrett Jack is a guy that teams would be interested in because he is what's the word, Greg? Serviceable. 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 He is serviceable, and I think a team that needs a backup point guard, he could be a serviceable backup point guard on a on a playoff team. So I think he could get traded off and you know really the only people I'm you know are pretty much have to keep are Porzingis, Nilakina, probably Tim Hardaway Jr. whether he's even tradable is a question but you know those kind of have to be our core guys and maybe even Michael Beasley just because uh, he he gets buckets if someone yeah. needs a if if someone needs a scorer off the bench again the Thunder need a fifth guy on their team who knows how to play basketball. So maybe that fifth guy could be Michael Beasley. I don't know. Uh, right. I just, I just think that some of these guys could fetch us something, which yeah. is better than, you know, letting Beasley go at the end of the season for nothing. Let it Jack go at the end of the season for nothing. And then I always, I say the, you'd rather have an asset than nothing. Uh, I, that came up with the, uh, the Derek Rose, Ricky Rubio rumor trade. We eventually just let Derek Rose walk as a free agent and, the the Timberwolves traded Ricky Rubio to the Jazz for a first round pick. So essentially we just if that rumored trade was was real and that the Knicks could have had Derek Derek Rose for Ricky Rubio, could have had Ricky Rubio for Derek Rose, they could have had the Ricky Rubio to trade. So you'd rather have an asset than not an asset. If people are about to be free agents like Kylo Quinn, it might be best to get rid of them and see what you can get instead of letting them walk for free. Um yeah, so that's that's that on the trade front. I, I almost forgot that we we have to continue playing basketball next week. Uh, this this felt like an end of season pod for some reason. A lot of lost hope in recent weeks. 
But next week, there is hope. We are facing the Golden State Warriors on Tuesday. That's a win. <laughs> Followed by the Denver Nuggets, who are now 500. They're, they're on a downward trend, which is good for us. And then we're facing the Suns on the second night of back-to-back. And that's our week. So I think we've we've kind of come to the realization that whatever your expectation is, we should subtract one from it. Does, does that feel right to you guys? Yeah. I think we all said two and one last week. I did caveat that I felt like it was a one and two week, but I wanted to be optimistic. But I think I'm off of being optimistic now. Yeah, I said that- three and oh at one point. Yeah. I was like, maybe three and oh. What do you guys think of that? All three teams yeah. are worse than us. So, you know, if if we're going with a caveat that we subtract one, this is an 0-3 week for us, right? Because right. uh, Golden State, Jake would probably call that a guaranteed W. Uh, he was right about that with Boston. So maybe he's a good luck charm that we don't have. So, but since he's not here, we'll probably lose that game. Uh, Denver, that's that's what I would call the pivot game Denver's normally. Four and six in their last ten. All right. Um, I would call the, that. The Suns are also four and six in their last ten. So I would typically call Denver the the pivot game in this um, situation, and then I would hope to beat Phoenix. Uh, but Phoenix. On the second night of a road back-to-back after traveling from Denver to Phoenix, that's not – that's tough. And, you know, we've been a little better on the road, not much better of late. And I just don't – I don't see us having it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put us down for a hard zero and three this week. Is that you subtracting there or you actually think that? Um, I mean, I think we could sneak out the Denver or the Phoenix game. Think so. I think the Denver game is going to have to be the one, just because I think playing a back-to-back road games, you know, where you're, you're flying from Denver to Phoenix after being in, you know, California the night before or two nights before, that's that's just a hard turnaround, and I, you know, we haven't done well in that. So I think Phoenix is probably a loss for that reason, and I think Golden State's a loss because they're Golden State. So we would have to beat Denver, and I don't know that we're going to do that. So All right, so your your official one is zero and three, but you're hoping for one and two. What do you think, Tom? My, I mean, my official one is is one and two, but I I think that they're going to beat the Suns. Um, the Nuggets, I know they've been four and six in the last ten, but they're also sixteen and six at home. I mean, they're just traditionally a very good team at um, Mile High Stadium. There, I think, um, yeah, Warriors loss. I think it's going to be a Nuggets loss. I think it's going to be a Suns win. You have to beat the Phoenix Suns. I don't care if you're playing five five games in a row. Every every time we say you got to beat this team, uh-huh. you got to beat the Bulls. We've said you got to beat the Bulls three times on this podcast, and we have beat them zero times. Yes. All right. Well, we beat the Suns one twenty one oh seven on November third at Madison Square Garden, so that was good. The one thing that you guys are forgetting is that Jake lives in Denver, and he's probably gonna be at the game, so they have to win against the Nuggets. There so, you go. Gonna beat the Nuggets. Gonna beat the Suns. There's still hope. We're going two and one this week, guys. And Boom. then once I subtract one, that's we're going one and two. We're going one and two this week, guys. Once I subtract one, we're negative one and four. <laughs> so my official, I'm on the record as saying two and one. Officially, I'm zero and three. Tom, you're one and two. Yeah, good. We got some diversity of opinions right. here. Hey. That's good. We'll so give, what's what what's we'll, left? We'll give Jake three and zero. Oh. Yeah, Jake's three and zero. Oh. Okay. 
All right, perfect. All right, well, that's all we got. Uh, we're going to try to ask for questions next podcast. We were thinking about doing it this week. We tried, but it was it was 1 a.m. when our, our request for questions was tweeted out. So After I'll, I'll, try, I'll try to do a better game. job. I'll try to do a better job next week looking for questions. Follow us at Talking Knicks, a lot of basketball.com. We do some writing. Yeah. Tom, Tom especially. Greg, we got we got Jake's manifesto coming out this week too. So look out for that. And yeah, guys, this this has been a serviceable pod. Right. Hey. <laughs> Thanks for talking with me. Hey, go Knicks. Go Knicks.